Thrill Seekers Radio. My name is Alex Dolan. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and I'm really happy to be joined by Andrew Maine today, uh, who's the author of the The Naturalist and uh, the the Theo Doctor Theo Cray series of books. And I just read this, and uh, I'm totally vested in the series right now. So, Andrew, welcome to the show, and thanks for making the time. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. So I guess to, to get started, um, one of the things I loved about this was that it, it was just an unusual, it was a unique concept for a book. And can you uh, talk about, it? just set it up for people and, and what the series is about? The Naturalist is about a scientist named Theo Cray. He's actually a computational biologist who gets pulled into the world of uh, crime and trying to solve, you know, mysteries that other people don't think have answers or explanations. And it, it came out because like, I love science and I've had a number of friends that are scientists and I like the way they look at the world and each one is unique. A biologist would look at the world different than perhaps a zoologist, yet they still have this habit of asking questions, the why, 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 and looking at the world very differently. And this series started because I was excited about the idea of computational biology, which is basically using computer systems, artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera, to try to replicate biological systems. And that takes a kind of certain way of thinking. And I thought that could be kind of cool for somebody who gets put into crime scenes or trying to hunt down criminals that are extremely elusive. You know, how would those tools apply there? That makes sense. And as far as computational biology goes, I have a little bit of experience with that kind of modeling, but can you talk a little bit about um, if, how new is the, the tools that Theo Cray would use? How, how new are those tools? And, and yeah. to make this real for people, it would be things like being able to kind of detect, uh, you know, different flora and be able to predict based on the flora in a certain area where a body might be buried um, and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And let me start off by saying this book is not, it, it gets into a little bit of science. If anybody's listening, don't worry. It's not, <laughs> it, it, it's not a, it's not a thesis and, and it was written for people, you know, friends and people I know who like science, but maybe feel intimidated by it or whatever. And so if you hear me say a concept or something, like, don't worry, it, you know, it's, Theo explains as he goes along. And so I put in things in there that I think are kind of neat. So think of it as like watching a Nova documentary or something in that sense where, you know, you know, don't, don't, don't feel like, Oh, this sounds like it's way over my head. I mean, I, I love this stuff and I approached all of this as somebody who didn't know what these things were. And then I found out what they meant. I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. This is how I'd like to incorporate it. So a big part of science now is, of course, is data science and looking at, you know, amounts of data and trying to figure out patterns to things. And sometimes there aren't patterns to them. Sometimes, you know, they can be, you know, when you pull out your phone and it recognizes your face, it's because your phone has figured out an algorithm to figure out you're looking at it and nobody else is, even if your face is turned or facing some other way. And the way this would apply to Theo would be, let's say Theo was hunting some killer and he noticed maybe not Theo, but he might've used a computer to find a pattern and realize that there's a, there's a, a hunting pattern to the way this person behaves. And that might help him figure out how to narrow down the possibilities. And one of the books, he realizes one of the killers hunts a lot like a great white shark. And that helps him figure out, well, if I'm going to catch this person, I have to think through, you know, how would you try to catch great white, et cetera. 
That makes sense. And an excellent segue. So thanks for tossing me that softball. So uh, as, as somebody who works on the Discovery Channel and uh, does something with Shark Week, um, I, again, for the, for the sake of the people that are listening, uh, we'll get, we're going to get into your multifaceted career, but just for people listening, uh, you know, you, you have a background in being able to take scientific concepts and break them down into things that are very accessible for people. Um, did, did that, you, so you talk a little bit about your work on discovery as a, you know, and did that inspire you to want to write a thriller that involves science? Well, I had an interest in science since I was a kid. And, and right. when I was in high school, I determined I was either going to become a magician or a scientist. And then my senior year, I lived in Fort Lauderdale. There were a lot of cruise ships there. And I'm like, man, like, which would be more fun? And I ended up together a whole illusion show and taking it on board and started working in ships and resorts and doing that. But I kept an interest in science and particularly the way that that sort of, uh, you know, intersected my interest in magic. And I would do visits to classrooms and talk about critical thinking and magic and science. And one thing led to another, and I developed a whole program for that and worked with the Annenberg Foundation and ended up working with another foundation and designing an entire curriculum trying to explain, hey, this is, this is how science applies to everyday things. And so that's always been an interest to me. And I actually got into television because that was an area. I said, well, let me see if I could take this to TV. And I ended up doing a lot of things that were not at all scientific in television, you know, prank shows, things like that. But um, this year I got to do something really fun. And that was for Discovery Channel, go do a Shark Week special where I built a, a suit and some technology to allow me to get extremely close to great white sharks. And it all comes through certainly from my interest in science and the Theo Cray books predated that experience, but the Theo Cray books certainly were an out, you know, um, outcome from my interest in science and communicating that and wanting to create a cool scientist character that could still be relatable to people who, you know, maybe never had interest in science. And, uh, uh, and again, for, we've danced over this, but so Andrew Maine, in addition to being uh, a, a great author and a very prolific author, by the way, um, but also an accomplished magician. You've been at this since you were, I, I think, 16. Uh, mm -hmm. And I um, in, I guess one of the things that, that struck me is that it's, I don't talk to many authors who are magicians. And, and so it's, a, and it's fascinating to have people on the show that like approach the discipline of writing from a lot of different backgrounds. But it's, it sounds like the practice of creating an illusion isn't that far off from a scientific method, like the, the kind of the way that you would approach it. It seems like you'd have to have that kind of methodology to kind of experiment and, um, and in, in a way kind of like have a scientific method to developing that. But did, did you find like there's a crossover? Certainly. And I think when it comes to creating magic, most magicians are performers and don't create a lot of the material they do. It's, it's often, it's like music, you know, just to perform something really well is a skill unto itself. And then there's, you know, another category of people who try to create that. I've been a magic creator and, you know, since I was a teenager and worked for people like Penn and Teller, David Copperfield and David Blaine, and certainly to create magic, it helps to know about principles and science. And I used to describe it this way that 
uh, magic, you know, our old concept of magic was looking at the things we don't understand in the world, looking at science we don't understand and just putting a label on it, calling it magic. And then, you know, science was looking at these magical things and figuring out how they worked. And so you can use science to create magic or magic to reveal science. That makes sense. And, and again, you've, be, you've been doing this since at 16 years old. Were you working for Penn and Teller at that point? Um, I had, I knew them at that point and I had not started working with them yet. Okay. Um, and so is, is there an illusion that stands out if people want to uh, kind of, I, I have, you have many videos on YouTube, but is there um, an illusion that you're like, yeah, this is the one that, that I, you know, seek me out. This is the one that I architected. Um, I mean, as far as if you, you know, if you Google me or my show that I did for Amy, don't trust Andrew Main, you'll see some examples there. And, and one of my favorite ones is the one that some people go like, is this real? And I'm like, it's hundred percent real. And that was where I would stop people in a parking lot and uh, in front of their car and take a photo of their car and then make the photo vanish on my phone and they'd be impressed. But then when they turned around, their car had vanished and then it would reappear somewhere else, you know, in a, you know, basically impaled on a street lamp. And it was one of these things where I said, you know, when I set out to do that, I said, I want to take something like stealing somebody's watch. I want to take the psychology of that, but I want to do it on a grand scale. I want to take something else that's personal to people that we think we have you know, uh, maybe at the, at the moment, a spatial awareness of where it is and then do something that just is so messes with your head that people don't even know how to react. And so that was actually something I did for the pilot for the TV series. And that's what got me that series. And so that's one of my favorite effects because it looks like, oh, this has got to be, you know, something more going on. And I'm like, no, this is just, it's about misdirection. And uh, something I've always, uh, so I, I, I am in love with street magic. And one of the things that I've always been curious about. So when you did Don't Trust Andrew Main, um, how, how much of the shoot was you kind of talking people down after the, their reaction? Or like, how, how much like from the point that you yell cut, like, do, is there sort of this... Do, do you, how much do you do you have to like talk people into participating and then kind of like let them cool off after they're they see the the illusion you know people you know tend to have a pretty good attitude about things and and the a, a funny story about that show was when we did the first version of it like the first cut of it I, you know, I came across as a bit of a magic psychopath. You know, I just walked up to people and, and just messed up their day, then walked away. And, you know, and what happened was they were going through the edit and the network was like, you know, he, he, we like Andrew, but here he just seems like he's kind of like just this magic serial killer kind of person. And then <laughs> somebody was watching some footage and what it was, they, there was what actually was that, that effect where I'd made somebody's, you know, car vanish. And a camera person had set their camera down on the ground, but it was pointed towards me. And they saw immediately after I made the person's car vanish and I ran away and the person standing there all in shock. They, I, and I didn't know the cameras were rolling. I just, I walked back up to him. I go, Hey, you know, was that fun or whatever? And the woman's like, Oh, that was amazing. And she hugged me and she just was laughing. She didn't know what was on, but she liked me and she thought it was so much fun. And they saw that I was this, actually this very warm person going up to her saying, hey, was that cool? Or, you know, and she, it was just this neat moment. And when the network saw that, they were like, well, that's 
we need that. We, and so it ended up being every trick they wanted to have that moment of, you know, me saying, you know, Hey, you know, thanks for helping me out or whatever. And, you know, but it, it just kind of shows that you can have an idea. Like we think this will be cool, but you know, in characters, you know, like I talk about this when writing is that if you're going to be a bad guy, you got to be really interesting. But even, you know, if your character is a good guy, you got to make sure they are a good guy. They can't just be a good person because you decided they're the protagonist. And that plays through with magic is you had things where I'm doing these fun, pranky kind of things and I'm a smart ass, but would you like me? Not necessarily. It might be interesting, but if you want people to tune in every week, you've got to like my personality. And that showed that I'm not really that much of a jerk. I mean, I might be, but I just put on a good act. <laughs> um, that's, that's a really good way to talk about it. And to, to uh, that's one of the things that when I was reading Theo Cray and in the naturalist, um, and in Looking Glass, um, I, he does strike me as somebody who's like fundamentally good. And so it's interesting uh, to kind of see see what goes on behind that character development. Um, again, I want to remind people that we're talking to Andrew Main. He's the author of The Naturalist. And this is a series, Looking Glass, which is the book, t- book two of the series has come out. Murder Theory. Uh, which is book three has come out and you have a fourth book coming out. Um, I want to say early next year. Um, uh, dar- no, a couple weeks. Dark couple weeks. comes oh, out o- okay. o- October 15th. Yeah. Ah, nice. Okay. And uh, do you picture this, is this a kind of a, an open-ended series for you? Uh, I have a journey that I want Theo to go through. I mean, I start off with that and it, and it does evolve over time. And, and one of the things you can set out to say, this is what I'm going to do, but you need to be open to the idea that as the character, as you grow with the character that, you know, things sort of evolved. And I've got, you know, that, that book comes out October and then there's a big, big book coming out next year or trying to where the date is for that, which is going to be a, another big evolution for Theo. And if anybody followed my other character, Jessica Blackwood, very highly probable the two of them will be working together. And that was kind of cool to take two characters from two different series and bring them in. So um, certainly with, you know, Theo, I have sort of a plan for him. Uh, you know, Jessica, the same thing. I have a new series launching next year about a, a police diver in Florida, and she's got her own sort of arc. So I certainly start off saying, this is where they are. This is where they're going to probably grow over the next few books. But, you know, it's just, I I like to write and sort of have an end in mind, but usually 70% of the way through I change things because my characters get smarter and I realize there's a better solution to one, the one I started off with. One of the things in the book that, uh, that I particularly like is because Dr. Theo Cray is, he's a professor and he's, scientist and so he comes at this from a much different angle from traditional law enforcement and so that sort of gives you the chance to sort of expose the the inefficiencies in law enforcement which um in a way that i don't see very often and what it made me um because you especially in the naturalist where you're talking about you're having him look into different crimes in different regions and we're still finding that there's this communication disconnect that can happen between different regions uh, and different uh, police departments, even today in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you were doing the research, do you like, do you find that that just the, the fundamental coordination of an investigation is still a tough thing for police to do? 
Yeah, you know, I grew up in a law enforcement family. My father was an ATF agent for a number of years. My, my brother's in the FBI. And you, I, and I had a deep appreciation for how much their hands were tied, you know, how much they had to do with bureaucratic stuff like, you know, spending 10 hours a month logging telephone calls, you know, which cost the government more to have, you know, federal agents do that than it did to actually save them. And it's something like, I mean, I, I pair, you know, you know, making up that figure, but stuff like that. And you realize that, you know, there is, uh, you know, you have an amazing group of people who are out there trying to, you know, stand between, you know, bad people and you and I, and their, their world is made difficult through bureaucracy, through a number of things. And, you know, you, you go into some law enforcement agencies and you see computers that are a bit out of date because the contract to buy those went out 10 years ago and finally got authorized and it was for something else. Or you talk to people who are working in forensics and they know about better tools that can be used, but it's just, there's a lot of things going in there. And, and, you know, I start off with Theo Cray, who's got better solutions to do some of these things. And he probably gets a little bit arrogant too. And you see that in the books where he starts to realize maybe I've been a little bit too hard on some of these other people in law enforcement because I don't have to deal with their limitations. And, you know, and I think sometimes he kind of, he makes mistakes. You know, I think that he, you know, Perhaps, you know, he he's, uh, grows over time to understand that, but still he's, you know, remains pretty effective. I liked that, though, cause, because you like it is the ego of somebody who is, would be a scientist, having, having worked with many scientists myself. So I like the fact that kind of like his, he's aware of the fact that arrogance is, is a weakness for him, and sometimes he mm-hmm. can't even control it. Um, and uh, so I want to, talk a little bit uh, and again as a reminder we're talking to andrew main uh the author of the theo cray series uh, i'd start with a naturalist also look at looking glass murder theory uh and book four which is out in october can you remind me is that dark matter a uh, dark pattern dark pattern i'm sorry i'm dark thinking pattern. of the blake i'm thinking of the blake crouch uh book dark ah. matter which is great <laughs> too yeah, blake's amazing blake's amazing. yeah yeah um you have so much, uh, so many projects going on. I don't normally ask this of people, but as a professional magician, you had a show on A&E called Don't Trust Andrew Maine. You have the, the Ghost Diver um, feature on Discovery. You have, uh, and you've written over 50 books. Um, a lot of those were magic books and very short. Lots it of still pictures. It still counts. <laughs> it still counts. So, how do you find time? Like literally, like I like your your schedule is pretty full. Uh, I I think that certainly my approach towards things. Like I know that I spend a lot less time writing than some of my friends do because I tend to spend a lot. I try to spend my time very effective as far as how I plan things out. I I started off a long time ago, tried like try to do seat of the pants and just write. And I found that, you know, you can write and write and write, but the amount of time that it would take me to find the story in that, uh, it took me so much longer than if I sat down and said, let me, let me just, work through some outlines, try some different approaches towards there, and then have a pretty pretty clear idea of what I want to do and then sit down and make it happen. So I tend to be a very focused writer when I sit down to do it and and map things out. And I said before, though, you know, usually about 70% the way in, I figure out, you know, no, this is a better way to go do it. So 
I, I have, you know, I spent a lot of time analyzing my approach and I've gone through periods where I've had books that were slow to come out and then after you're slow for me to make happen. And then afterwards I'd sit down and say, what was different about this than before? So I'm very analytical about my process to make sure that, you know, it works. And I also, you know, try to keep these little checks and balances for myself. You know, you, you want to make sure that you're still, you're still making things that are feel fresh your character is still interesting. And, you know, the, the danger of an outline, you know, for an author is that the outline can be, a, people feel that's a substitute for plot or story. And it's not, it's just a thing telling you here, okay, this is where your character needs to be. Now think about the character's experience and stuff. So certainly what helps me is, you know, detailed outlining, you know, I'm always thinking about things. I have notebooks, keeping track of stuff. And, but I do, when I sit down to write, I have a pretty clear idea of what I'm going to do, how many days it's going to take, and just get it done. That makes sense. Um, we're, I'm going to take a quick break and remind everybody you're listening to Thrill Seekers. We're part of Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. This is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, LLC. Uh, I'm Alex Dolan. We've been talking to Andrew Main about The Naturalist, about Looking Glass, about Murder Theory, about the forthcoming uh, Dark Patterns, and this is the Theo Cray series. And uh, it's a fantastic series. So I would read it, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. As, as we wind down, you're also the host of the Weird Things podcast, and I, mm -hmm. I was just listening to your, your Area 51 episode, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I loved it because um, I just kind of wanted to like dig into that a little bit as we close out because I, I sort of, have you ever heard of the Cacophony Society? The Cacophony Society? I don't believe so. So they, they basically like, uh, they were started, they started um, a lot of things that have become cultural disruption so um burning man was a spin-off of this when chuck palinuk okay. did fight club he's actually like the oh of, yeah yeah he's it sounds the, like something i probably read about wired or something yeah right right so he's he's like the head of that chapter in portland oregon and uh and so they've like what we think of as uh as culture jamming and uh like that that started with these guys and i kind of wonder if this almost might be like a cacophony society thing where they just wanted to see how far this would go. But I'm like, I'm really, do you have a sense of like where this even came from? Um, well, there was the gentleman, I forget his name. He posted on Facebook and just said, Hey, what, let's go do this. This would be fun. And it was a, it had all the right elements for something to kind of go viral, which was, it felt relevant to everybody. It, it, it touched upon some aspect of curiosity it was funny and it had, you know, pop culture references to, you know, you know, to anime. And so it just hit the right buttons for people. And it just, you know, took off of, you know, this idea of like, it, it costs nothing to participate to say, yeah, I'll be there. Very few, you know, of the number of people, the 3 million or so people who said they wanted to go there, they ended up with a few hundred. So, you know, I, I, I described that a podcast, like that's like worse than homeopathic, you know, levels of, you know, participation but the idea the meme just took off because i think it just it it resonated and again on facebook it's easy to click yeah i'll, I'll go there and not show up oh yeah you know yeah so. that's the that's the greatest pastime on facebook um yeah but, but i also like the idea like you raised it uh, what i thought was an interesting point which was like there's never going to be an answer that's satisfying to people 
even if we like, you know, smashed down the doors of Area 51 and found, uh, you know, aliens playing poker inside, like it still wouldn't be enough. Um, well, yeah, I have a, I actually did a talk last night for a friend of mine. His name is Paul Heineck. His father is Dr. J. Allen Heineck, who the, the TV series uh, Blue Book is based, Project Blue Book's based upon. He was the one that came up with the whole concept of Close Encounters that Spielberg, you know, bought the rights for to do Close Encounters of the third kind from. And we were talking just about this, about how, you know, you have, for the diehard believer, there is nothing that would convince him there wasn't there, you know. And I would say that, you know, for the, the hardcore skeptic, you know, you know, you need to... I, I, I argue because I'm a skeptic. I'm like, it's very easy to prove it to me. These things are real. <laughs> Just show me one, you know, <laughs> you know, show me a photograph. I'd say our threshold of proof is very, very easy. But if, if you're dealing with something that's elusive that can't be, and that, then that's problematic. You know, I spent a number of years, you know, managing the, the million dollar prize, which was a prize towards anybody who could prove anything paranormal or supernatural. And I would set up tests for this and, you know, people are like, oh, that's so hard to try to win. I'm like, well, if these things are real, I think it would be easy. If these things were, you know, if you, if, if, you know, ESP worked like, you know, magnetism or something like this, we should be able to figure this stuff out. You know, if ghosts were just some sort of elusive thing, you know, if we can capture photographs of, you know, endangered species we thought were extinct in the middle of the forest, in the middle of nowhere, with everybody with cell phone cameras, I think we'd, you know, maybe able to shoot some pictures of ghosts. Yeah. Or UFOs. So I, I agree. Yeah. So if you're one of the handful of people that probably died in the desert outside of Area 51, the, the yeah. joke's on you, really. Um, so as we wind down, um, I just want to. Uh, so again, we're talking to Andrew Maine. He is a very successful magician. The the host of Don't Trust Andrew Maine. The host of the Weird Things podcast. The author of 50 books, uh, including. The Dr. Theo Cray series, The Naturalist, Looking Glass, Murder Theory, October, Dark Patterns is coming out, and um, it's been great uh, having you on the show. And if people wanted to find out more about you, what's the best place for them to go? AndrewMaine.com. That's M-A-Y-N-E. All right, great. Well, Andrew, uh, great to meet you, and, and great work in the series, and thanks for coming on. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me. <laughs>